Read along with me, if you would, please. Verse 1. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in a land, in the land in which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land in which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, Houses and full of good things which you did not fill. Hewn out wells which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him and take oaths in His name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted Him in Massah, but you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, His testimonies and His statutes which He has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and what is good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you and that you may go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all of your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. And when your son asks you from time to come, in time to come, saying, what is the meaning of these testimonies, statutes, the judgments in which the Lord our God has commanded you? And you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day, then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. Will you pray with me, please? All right, Lord, this is Your time. We've read Your Word. Pray now, Lord, bring out Your exhortation and Your doctrine. Do that which You ordain. Teach, equip, challenge, Clarify. 
strengthen, assure, save. Do all the things you intend your word to do here in this time. Lord, I thank you for the honor that it has been for four years to sit here as pastor and watch you save lives, watch you grow us, develop us. And now here we are, Lord, seeking your face together as a family. And in this now, Lord, we pray that you would cause us to be drawn deep in. Speak to us individually right where we need to hear you. Speak to our minds where our minds are well aware of areas we need your clarity. Speak to our hearts, Lord, even as we sung. That, Lord, everything be seen right. Speak, Lord, to our very beings, to our spirits in such a way, Lord, that every appetite under your governance, every value, every priority, our entire life given to you as you now bring us to the clarion call of this simple shopping list of your heart. Speak to us now, we pray. Fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit, Lord God, so that you would do through me what I can't humanly do. Immerse me, Lord, so that every one of these precious brothers and sisters would see you. Redeem every second, Lord. Not a word beyond or before. Not a second later or earlier. But, Lord, in depth and in width, speak to us now. We commit every second of this to you. In the name of our Lord and Savior, perfect sacrifice and King, Jesus the Christ. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Never just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always be the authority for which you test everything. Everything you hear. Everything you observe. Let me bring us up to speed now. Chapter 1, verse 3, and you can flip there and kind of follow me if you want with this. In chapter 1, verse 3, we kind of get a timestamp. It tells us there, and I'll go quickly, so forgive me, but I'm just trying to be courteous to your time, that it's in the 40th year on the 11th month on the first day. We are a month away from full 40. He tells us it was after the kings of Og and Sihon have been taken down. They are now on the east side of the Jordan. And Moses, we read now, begins to explain the law. He will do so by reviewing the history of the relationship between this nation and God. He will not do so by walking them through the history of Cain and Abel, Noah, Enoch, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he really starts with the birth of the nation. And in that, God tells him twice it is time to get up and get going. In verse Chapter 1, verse 6, we read that as they had gone from the land of Egypt into the place that we would call Mount Sinai, the place where the Ten Commandments were given, God then says, and again, this is in review, you've dwelt long enough at this mountain, it's time to go take the land. And can I say that exhortation will be one that we need to hear well. Because it's very easy, as someone could say, to be a couch or a pew potato, to sit here and gather the information, but never realize that God is giving this as marching orders and not as entertainment. The people's response to God is that 
the people that they are to take the land from are greater and taller. The cities are great and fortified, even up to heaven in their opinion. And the sons of Anakim, I'm assuming Skywalker, are there. And so with that, they're saying, but God, look at how huge the challenge is before me. God's response, look at chapter 1, verse 29. He says, don't be afraid or uh, don't be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God, Moses reviewing what he had said, the Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you. According to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. God already has a track record from the beginning of the birth of this nation of taking down every invincible foe in front of you. What makes you think now is the time he's going to stop? <coughs> Listen, he's taken you too far to stop now. So take your journey. Let's take it. Let's go take the land. But the people refused and said, we won't go. All they could see was the size of the problem and losing the sight of God. They were overwhelmed. Now look at, as we look, look at this, I just I have to say this for my own sake. Or I, I can take my fist and I can hold it up to the sky. Now, in London, this takes a rare thing because the sun actually has to be visible. But I can hold that, that up in such a way so that I don't see the sun. Now, that doesn't make my fist bigger than the sun. It just makes it closer. And, and the truth be told, of course, if I put the, the, the earth next to the sun, it is but a speck on a shore of a galaxy. But that fist can look so huge when I'm looking at it like this so that I can't see the sun. And in the same way, our problems, we can stare at that problem and hold it so close that we lose perspective of the gigantic, the infinity of our God. And that's what God is saying here. I'm bigger. Let's take the land. People said, no, we won't. They're too big. No, they are too big for you. They're just not too big for him. So God says, all right, well then, I guess we've got another lesson to learn. It's time for another lesson. Let's go to the way of the Red Sea. And they go, oh, oh gosh, we really have sinned. Okay, uh, well, we'll go fight. And God's like, no, look it, I'm not going to go this time. Now I've already made my choice. <coughs> God's not playing a game. This isn't one of those, he's kind of, kind of, you know, kind of, he's going to kind of dance to the left and hope you'll dance to the right and then somehow you can meet back in the middle. God, when God makes a decision, he makes a decision. That's just the way it is. And he goes, look, I'm not going to go with you now. And they're like, well, we'll go. And he's like, no, don't go. It's interesting. God says, don't, God says fight and they won't. He says, don't and they will. And they get beat all the way back to a place called Hurma. Could you say Hurma? Come on now, there's one of me and a whole lot of you. Hurma. You can't say Hebrew like that. Hurma. Yeah, okay, I'm going to start putting electrodes on these views. It means devotion. And they got driven back to a place called devotion. And there they were licking their wounds. And then God says again, now chapter 2, verse 3, look at it. He says, now look at you've skirted this mountain long enough. Now maybe for some of you, you've been just listening and listening and you really haven't stepped up to what God is calling you to. You know the information. You know God's calling you into it, but somehow you'd rather be a spectator. Well, then my message to you would be that very first one. You've, you've kind of hung out at this mountain long enough. It's time to go and take the, take the land. 
Now, there are others, though, that they've kind of tried, but they've done it in their own strength, not at God's call, but at their own. They had all the ambition. And, you know, there's people like this. They're kind of all guts and glory and no, and, you know, and, and no prayer. And so they're kind of running into it, just assuming that whatever they claim, God's going to sort of back them up like they're the lead cop. And, you know, God's going to sort of come back with the, the following cop car. Well, we'll understand the Lord's supposed to be leading us in all of this. And so you get worked and you get beat up in all of that. And you're licking your wounds and you're back at a place where you're trying to be devoted to the Lord. And you're like, I'm never going to go back and do that again. And, and my prayer is you don't, that you don't go back and do it that way again. That's the lesson. And you know, people go, well, I tried that ministry thing and that was horrible. I tried that thing and it was just rough and people were people and I couldn't believe people were people. It's like a doctor saying, I tried being a doctor, but it just seemed like everybody I saw was sick. Yeah, funny how that works. <clears throat> I have a friend who's in an emergency room, an A&E surgeon in the States. And we talk a lot about, or we've talked a lot about the difference between us. Because in both cases, people come in, and he's a Christian, he loves the Lord. People come in these very critical conditions, and really it's very important to act and act immediately. I said, but he says, but one of the biggest differences is when I walk out of my office, I'm off duty. I don't have people dying, running up to me all the time the rest of the day. You, on the other hand, you kind of get those calls. And I said, so why don't you do it the rest of the day? And I found it fascinating what he said. He said two things. He says, one, I don't have my tools and my medicine. And the second is, I don't have my wash basin. I thought that was interesting. Because he always washes before and after every person. Washes before for their sake and after for his. Well, I have the tools in front of me at any given moment. And that's one of the things. But it's really encouraged me. It's challenged me personally to wash, to bathe in the water of his word. Just because I never know when that next appointment that's not on my diary is going to show up. It's a trained person who sits next to me I've never met. It's on the plane. It's on the whatever. And sometimes it's just, you know. This morning, we finished our last concert last night at about 1 o'clock. I got home about 2 in Italy. We left about 4 something for the airport. And um, the, the, one of the nice things about, you know, the particular airline we were flying is you have to pick your seat and you have to pay for it. Well, it doesn't sound like an awesome thing, but then you realize I can pick a nice seat and it's like three pounds more than any other, so I might as well just get a good one. So I picked a nice seat where nobody was sitting. And, uh, you know, I'm right, I'm right, right, right in the front. Now, I'm not one of those kind of people that's like a prima donna. I just figured I needed a couple hours of sleep before being with you guys. I wanted to be clear in my head. And so I sit there and there's no one next to me and I'm like, oh, this is it. I'm just going to lay there and just go to sleep. And there's this gentleman uh, from Bangladesh who comes up and he's like, I've hurt my hand. Can I sit in the front row? Now, I still don't understand that logic. I'm not exactly sure how hurting my hand puts you in the front row, but I kind of, okay. So, you know, I'm like, there's me, there's two seats, there's two seats over there. There's a lot of room. That's kind of great. He's certainly not going to want to sit next to me, right? I'm, you know, and I'm trying to be Christian, but foreboding. So, you know, the other seats, look. <laughs> I'm just being honest, I'm being transparent here. Right? I'm just trying to be trans- trying to be honest. And and so the guy, you know, the guy, and they're just like, oh, my goodness, let's get a wash rag. And I don't know if something happened with his hand. And so he sits down right next to me. And I kid you not, he turns around and goes, hey, or whatever he was saying. And he just waves a hand like this. And I, five other guys just start showing up. And there they are. And they're just all in this row. And they, they take up the entire front row all of a sudden. Which, again, I'm just trying to be, I'm trying to be Christian. They, they don't know I'm a Christian. And that's the temptation. You know what I'm saying? 
You know, I could tell them I'm a Mormon and be a jerk. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so, you know, I'm just kind of sitting there and about to try to say, and they are in a conversation that is as loud as you've ever heard. It is like it's going on. Now, I don't understand a word of what they're saying, but it's going on. And I'm like, Lord, I really, 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 really need you right now. I need a greater rest than the sleep I plan on getting at this moment. I mean, and they're, they're so animated, these guys. And the way they're talking, the guy's bumping me every couple of times. And I'm just kind of, oh, Lord, he doesn't know I'm a Christian. Lord, but he, Lord's like, I do. I do. All right, Lord, I need you to cleanse me. I need you to cleanse me right now. I need you to cleanse me quick. Finally, two hours, it's a two-hour flight. An hour and 45 minutes into the flight, he turns to me and goes, you are a remarkably patient man. What's your secret? And I said, it's Jesus Christ who lives inside of me. And I kid you not, the moment I said that, they shut up completely. And I thought, I should have said that two hours ago. What that has to do at all with this, I really don't know. Anyways, forgive me. So here, back to our point on this. Sorry. So the Lord says, let's get you walking. You've got some things you need to see. So in chapter 2, he starts walking them through the annals of God's slain giants. In chapter 2, verse 3, you've slain, you've, you've, you've skirted around this mountain long enough. You've been injured. You need to, you know, be in that place. Now look at, maybe you're in that A&E situation. Well, may the Lord heal you and get you back in the field, beloved. So he walks him past the Moab. And he says, remember Moab? They were actually, the land they took is actually from a group of people called the Emim, which, by the way, means terrors. They were giants. And then he walks him by the, the area of Ammon. As he walks him by Ammon, he's like, hey, by the way, the people that they possessed the land before them were called the Zanzumim. Now, I don't know about you. That strikes fear in the heart of, I'm not too sure who. But the Zanzumim, and that, by the way, means intrigues or strategies. But the scariest of them all, the next is Esau. And as he walks him through Esau, Esau's territory, he goes, you know who was here before this? The Horites. And the Horites mean cavemen. That's what, the, what it means. Took the, they took out the cavemen. The crudes, I kicked them out so that Esau could live there. And if I could do that for them, couldn't I do that for you? I love you. Now it's your turn. And then he takes him to the border of Sion. He says, it's time to get to work. Sihon, by the way, means stormy. Og, I remind you, means round and round. What we do know about Og, by the way, according to Deuteronomy 3.11, is that his bed size was nine by four cubits, which, by the way, means it was roughly four and a half by two meters. Now, that probably doesn't sound that huge, except for the fact that he was sleeping alone. This wasn't like he got a king-sized bed. This guy had a bed that filled the room. And they get working. And the, these giants start to fall. So you understand, though they're looking at giants across the Jordan, they've already taken down their own giants. Sixty cities have been taken down. And now here we are again, standing at that Jordan we were at 40 years ago, 38 years ago. When we said we can't do it, we've seen giants, but you've seen every giant fall up to this point, and now the giants before us are just the next in line. In chapter 4, he says, then, well, if you're going to follow me into victory, I remind you, and some of you are familiar, remember, we have to listen to the Lord, and there's that word, Shema, the same word we're going to see brought to, to pass here. He's preparing us. By the way, for what it's worth, that worth, the word here is used at least 34 times in this book. There's only 34 chapters. That's like one a chapter. The term hero Israel will be used five times. We'll see two of them here, by the way. I want you to keep my word as it is. I want you to do it. I want you to keep yourself from idols because I'm jealous. And when you fail, fall, and fracture, I want you to return to me because I'm merciful. 
And when you start reviewing your past, I want you to remember how I pulled you out and I talked to you and I spoke to you and you didn't die because I'm exclusive. In chapter 5 then, he reviews that Ten Commandments, the law. Though there are 613 commandments in the Torah, it's the ten, of course, that get the press. But in chapter 5, he says, this whole thing revolves around my relationship with you. And in that, I want you to have the land and I want you to stay in it. I want you to enjoy it. That's what we'll see here as well. And now the whole thing reaches this beautiful apex in chapter 6 where he gets us to the heart of the matter, the love behind the law. Did you notice in verse 1 that he says, this is the commandment in its singular? And then he gets to the plural. He has taken 613 commandments in essence and put them all into one. This is really only one thing. If you can't remember 613 laws, and God's like, I know who you are. I bet you could remember one. And it is so important that Israel to this day quotes what they call the Shema. Shema Israel. The Lord our God. The Lord's one. What's sad is, is that they have it in a little box tied to their hand. It's called a phylactery or a box that sits on their head. It's in a black box wrapped with leather straps. You can't see it. You can't read it. It's kept in a box. Because of a law that he says here, but he, you missed the point. Look at it with me. He says, look at this is the point. This is the commandment. These are the statutes, the judgments in which the Lord... Your God has commanded to teach you, <coughs> excuse me, that you may observe them in the land you're crossing over. Because I want to give you the land, because I want them to be prolonged there. I want you to keep his statutes. And I want your son and your grandsons, I want you to leave a legacy. I don't want this just to be for you. I want this to be something so that your kids look and go, thank the Lord I was born into this family because of their desire to obey the Lord and the blessings that follow. Did you notice in verse 3, before we get to verse 4, it tells us there, even here, O Israel, be careful to observe it. Notice the singular. That it would be well with you. And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord our God of our fathers has promised you a land flowing of milk and honey. Understand, your fruitfulness is directly reliant on this. This whole thing hinges on that. You're enjoying the land. You're staying in the land. You're getting the land. You're multiplying and being fruitful in the land. It all revolves around one thing. It's amazing. You could try to do the 613 and not do this one per se and actually have none of those things. And here it is, verse 4. Here, Shema, stop everything. Stop paying half attention. Stop kind of texting someone in your head, doing your taxes in your head or whatever. Stop thinking about what food you're going to have after this. I want you to give me all of your attention. And as you give me all of your attention, he says, Israel, listen, now that we've gone through a little bit of our history and you know that I've been faithful from the beginning, I've taken down every giant for you. I've clothed you. I've fed you. I've protected you. I've loved you. I've engulfed you in peace. I've done everything and beyond what you've ever asked. Can I ask one thing of you, please? Would you please listen? Would you please hear me in this? The Lord our God is one. Or literally, the Lord our God united. There's, in other words, He is resolute on this. Unchangeably, absolutely filled with the solidarity of heart and mind in this. This isn't God rolling off the cuff. 
God has peeled back his heart for you to see the most intimate and delicate part. I want you to think about that. Have you done that with anyone? I mean, really let them into a place where carelessness could devastate you. Do you realize God does that with us? That's the whole point of the, the Lord our God is one. Because I am peeling back everything. All of my majesty, all of my glory, dwelling in inapproachable light, all of the holy, holy, holies, and the worthy, worthy, worthies, all of that. I'm pulling all of that back so you could really see what really drives everything I do. Here it is. Will you love me? That's all I'm asking for. You're like, but you're asking for my obedience. Well, if you love me, that'll happen. Well, what about my time? If you loved me, that would happen. You'll find yourself, and by the way, the book of Romans tells us that, you know, that even the Gentiles who didn't have the law of God find themselves doing the things in the law because it's been written on their heart by the Spirit. Have you ever done something and then later on read it in Scripture and gone, oh, wow, I did that? And didn't even know that what you were doing was Scripture? Because God had been writing it in there. But notice he doesn't just say love. He says, can I have your love with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength? To the Jewish mind, different from the Greek mind, to the Jewish mind, a human being is a trinity. They should actually be the easiest people to explain a trinity to. Because to them, there was a trinity of social structure. There was the priests, the Levites, and the common people. And there was a trinity within every human being. There was their heart, or really, literally, the term is levav. Can you say levav? Levav means the innards. You know, and, and throughout whatever culture and whatever history, usually something inside is where everything from fear and courage to true faithfulness comes from. In the South, back in the cowboy days, they thought all your courage came from your liver. Did you not? And if blood doesn't come to your liver, it turns white. So if a person were a coward, they would call him lily-livered. Yeah, lily-livered coward. Because that's where they thought your, cower, your, your, your courage came from. Interesting to the Hebrew, traditionally, the place of your faithfulness and emotions, the seat of it was literally your seat, it was your bowels. So you can imagine how cute a Valentine's card would look like if you actually went with that. It wouldn't look like a heart on everything. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. But it is the seat of your emotions. And he wants that. But it is also your soul. The soul, by the way, can I say it this way, is where the heart goes shopping in its appetites. The soul is where decisions are made. It's actually quite simple. The majority of it, to be honest, takes place in your mind. Notice there isn't mind here. The other one will be strength. Now, the Greek will separate the thinking from the soul and make the soul so esoteric that we go, uh, I don't even get it anymore. What exactly, what part is the soul? Do you know what I mean? Have you ever, I mean, when I was a young Christian, I'm like, what in the world? I don't get what that means. 
What part is that? The part that like we can't figure out? It's What's interesting is the Greek word for tsuke, and that's where we get the word psychology and psychiatry from, and it means the study of the mind. So ironically, the soul, to even the Greek, still means the mind. And then there's your strength. You know what's interesting is the rest of the chapter follows that structure now. Watch, look at it with me. But first of all, let me say this. Do you realize that nine times in the book of Deuteronomy, God asks for your love? Do you realize that? I mean, clearly here. It tells us in chapter 11, verse 1, therefore you shall love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 11, verse 13, it says that obey the commandments which I command you today to love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 11:22 tells us be careful to, it says to keep all these commandments which I command you to love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 13 when it talks about a person who claims to be a prophet but either has to go after other gods or what they say doesn't come true they say don't give him any credence don't listen to him don't follow him because the Lord is giving you a chance to show that you love the Lord your God Deuteronomy 13:3 Deuteronomy 19.9, if you keep the commandments and do them, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 30, chapter 30, verse 6, the Lord God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 30, verse 16, and the commandment that I command you today, love the Lord your God and walk in His ways. Deuteronomy chapter 30, at the very end, as we start moving towards that, Everything that's done here is that you may love the Lord your God. Now, did you even realize how many times God's been asking you for that? Twice it'll happen in Joshua. One of my favorite verses, Psalm 31, by the way. Psalm 31, verse 23, where it says, Oh, love the Lord, all you saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. When asked Jesus, God in the flesh, when they asked him what's the greatest commandment, of course, this is where Jesus takes us. It's that serious. Here's my question to you. If you wanted someone's love, what would that look like to you? Think about it. If you're like, what I really want is your love. If you had a father that you're like, and you could sit with and have that relationship where you're like, you know what I really want is your love. What would that look like from a father? As a spouse, what would that look like? As a friend, what would that look like? And then wipe out any form of sinful personal ambition in that and realize that that's the one thing God's been asking of you from the very beginning. And with that, that becomes the paradigm for everything you do from this point forward. Congratulations, you've been given the key to the universe. If you ask, what am I here for? To love the Lord your God. Why was I made to love the Lord your God? What about the talents and gifts he's given me? What does he want me to do in this world? He wants you to love the Lord your God. That's what he wants you to do. Well, what about the other things? Seek first that, would you? Look at verse 6. Hey, by the way, quick quiz. There were three things. Do you remember what the first one was? Love the Lord with all your... Heart. First one was heart. Yeah, love. Nice. Love the Lord with all your heart. Do you remember what the second one was? Soul. And then the third one? Strength. 
Interesting. Look at how this works. Look at verse 6 with me. And these are the words which I command you today. They shall be in your... What's the word there? Do you see God going, now let's get with the first of those three. Do you see what I'm saying? Teach them diligently to your children. Stop before we go any farther. It is the parents' responsibility to teach God to their children. What we should do here should be the, the, the additive. You know, it's the blessing. It's the, it's the cherry on the top. But if the only Jesus your children get, then some of you are like, I don't have children. Good, well then plan ahead. God's going to hold you responsible for how you share with them. Hey, there's going to be a whole point in this. I remind you, this is the first one, to love the Lord with all your heart or levav. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house. By the way, can I say this? It's got to be a lifestyle, not an event. And when you walk by the way, as a parent, I'm always looking for teachable moments. Those moments when my child is actually either one, where they're actually really into the situation and you can actually put it in there in a way that they're available and hungry to hear. I mean, there are other moments, let's be honest, no matter what you say to them, if you called fire down, they wouldn't be impressed. And when you lie down, so it's how I sort the day out when I go to bed. Are you, are you like that or am I just the only one? That when I lay down at night, the sort of day reviews in my head and I kind of have to figure out how to put it, what categories to put stuff in. Is there anything left you know, untethered that needs to be worked out tomorrow? Is there anything, you know, what's kind of that? Before I even turn to what tomorrow is, how did today work out? And he goes, I want you to, I want it to be there. And by the way, when you rise up, when I wake up and the first thing I think is, okay, now what do I need to do today? What needs to happen? So let me put it this way. When you want to teach your kids something, teach them this. I want your love. When you sit down to talk to your kids and give them talks, make sure as a lifestyle you teach them, I want their love. When you walk by the way, I want you to first and foremost be reminded, I want your love. When you lie down at night and you try to sort through your day, I want you to be reminded, I want your love. When you get up in the morning and you say, what's this day going to look like? Hear me say, I want your love. That's what this whole thing revolves around. But can I say, in all of that, verses 8 and 9, then go with that as well. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them under the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Four things he puts here. What's the first of them? Can you tell me where he wants it? Hand. What's the second one? Eyes. What's the third one? Doorposts. Maybe some of you are familiar with what's called a mezuzah. That's where they get this from, by the way. Where the Shema, Hero Israel, is put on a scroll, put in a little glass tube, and it's stuck on the side of the doorpost as you walk into a Jewish person's house. Have you ever seen that? As a matter of fact, if they're actually fairly orthodox, they'll kiss it like this as they walk in. Well, that's where it comes from now. You know, it's from this. And what's the last of them? The gates. Follow me on this. When we look at our hand, our yad, when we look at our hand, it's what we do. What I set my hands to do. When I look at my eyes, it's what I seek after. When we look at the door, that's every place that I go. When I look at my door, I want to go, okay, wait a minute. Before I leave this house, I want to be reminded, you want my love. When I look and I open my eyes, I think, well, whatever these eyes need to be looking at today, I want to be reminded, you want my love. 
Whatever I set my hands to today, I want it to testify, you want my love. Well, then why the gates if not if, with, when the doors are already there? Well, the gates is where everyone else sees you. Because when someone walks by, they may not walk by your door, but they'll walk by your gate. And as they walk by their gate, I want other people to know that guy can't stop being infatuated and consumed with the point that God wants his love. Could you imagine if that's what people knew about us? They're like, you know what? And listen, I'm just going to take away all of those stupid excuses. We say, I don't want to, I don't want to preach at you. I don't want to be a Bible basher. Take out your Bibles and use them and preach because the Bible tells us to. Well, I'm afraid people will be driven away. If what's on your gate is God wants your love, then everything else is going to revolve around it. Then don't be afraid about what tools he gives you to use. Use them. So this is the point in all of this. So here I am. My children, I look at my children, I think, children, he wants your love. When I'm walking, when I talk with them, Children, he wants your love. This isn't just a private talk. This is wherever it is, when we sit in the house, when we walk, whatever it is, God wants my love and he wants yours too. When I lie down at night, Lord, thank you for this day. You've wanted my love. I pray that I've given it to you. As I get up the next morning, <coughs> I'm looking and going, God, you want my love. I want to give it to you. When I set my hands to something, Lord, let it testify you want my love. Let it testify that I love you back. Let it testify that I'm giving you that love. I think if God were just to look at my eyes, would it testify that I'm giving him my love? When I go and I look at the door and I say, all right, I'm walking out this door today. Can I openly testify that you want my love? Can I openly give you my love as I walk out this door? Because if I can't openly give you my love walking out this door, I better stay in this house until I can. And when people walk by this house, I want them to know this is a place people that know that God wants their love. And I look at all this and I realize that there is nothing, and please hear me in this because this is a, and I'll try not to soapbox this, but please hear me, there is no place left that doesn't have that. That's the point. So don't play this, oh, you know, well, you know, this is my job. We really don't do God at my job. No, I'm not telling you stand on a box and start preaching while you're sorting through mail at a postal box or whatever. I'm telling you, whatever it is, testify that God wants your love and testify that God wants theirs too. However he leads you to do it, do it. But don't tell me that's my job and God's really not allowed there. Well, then you shouldn't be allowed there because he lives in you and you can't not leave him outside the door when you walk in. It's like people saying, well, you know, I'm a professional thug, but that's okay because I have my church time and then I have like my work. Look at, there is no line between the secular and sacred. It all belongs to him. When I get up in the morning, it belongs to him. When I go to sleep at night, it belongs to him. When I set my hands to whatever it is, whether I'm building a birdcage or whether I'm actually carrying furniture for someone or groceries for someone, whatever these hands are to do, it's to testify in love. And we try to make love something that's sort of floral nothingness, like candy-coated air. We need to love each other. Like what that really means is we need to just smile and be nice to each other. But love costs. Love is sacrificial. Love is rough. We want to hand that over. Please hear me in this. When the Lord starts saying this, He goes, I want your heart. This is what it looks like. If, if, I, if you loved me, not with part of your heart, not even with an aorta, but if you loved me with all of your heart, what it would look like is that there would be no area of your life I'm not invited in. 
There'd be no area of your life that I'm not Lord of. There's no area of your life that you couldn't testify that you love me in. That's what it would look like. But I get that. As a married man for over 25 years, imagine if I had some, some place where I'd have to take off my ring just to be there. Where I'd have to hide the fact that I was married. I'm like, you'd think, that guy doesn't love his wife with all of his heart. How could he if he has to hide the fact that he's married in that situation? Wouldn't that make sense? God's like, we'll play it out with you and me. Is there a place where you have to like tuck your Bible back and if you're going to read it all, it's going to be on your phone like this so other people can't see? Cross goes in or whatever the case is. I say, oh, no, I, want, I want you to love me with all Because here's the cool part. Jesus loves us with his. Okay, did you get the first one? Okay, well, the good news is there's only three, right? So take a look at the second one now. Remember, so with all of our heart, what does that mean? That means that there's no area of our life that doesn't testify. Does that make sense? Okay, remember, what was the second one? With all of our heart and with all of our soul. Well, what does that look like? That appetite area? The area where we actually resolve and make those choices? Verse 10. So it shall be when the Lord God brings you into the land in which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things in which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you didn't plant, and when you eat and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Notice the thinking there. From the house of bondage, fear the Lord your God. Serve Him. Take oaths in His name. Don't go after other gods. Gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. God says, I'm going to warn you. If you're going to love me with all of your soul, do you know where you're going to see that? Strangely enough, you'll see it in ease. Because ease and comfort, worldly comfort, tend to fade the reality of where I came from. I could forget that I was ever a slave. I could forget that I ever needed to be saved. I could forget how helpless I was and incapable of saving myself. I could forget who did save me. And therefore, forget who is the greatest and forget who is my only. See, if I forget who did all of that, the gods of this world could look just as viable candidates as the one who actually did everything for me. Nobody else died on a cross. Nobody else called me by name. Nobody else took my shame and my horror upon himself. Only my God. That's who. Only Jesus. And I look at this and I think, am I really willing to love God with all of my... Well, well wait a minute, look at this. He says, I'm going to bring you to a place, by the way. And this place that I'm going to bring you to, you won't have to build the cities. They'll already be there. You won't even have to fill your house because it'll already be filled. You won't have to dig out a well because it's already been dug. You won't even have to plant your vineyards or your olive trees to eat because they're already planted. Which one of you had to build your house? Certainly none of you built London. 
unless you're really old. It was built in 71 AD. I'm thinking, this is every one of us. I don't have to plant trees and wait for the fruit to come. I can go to the store just like you. I don't know if you've heard stories, if you're familiar with the Jim Elliot story and the edge of the spear and the people that had killed uh, Jim Elliot and how the, the wife had gone back after that because they were cannibals, they were headhunters, and she went back to minister to the people anyways. And ultimately the man that killed her husband became a really good friend of hers. He wound up giving his life to the Lord. And she took him back to America. He's only been in Central America his whole life. And she takes him to America and takes him to a grocery store. This man has lived in the bush his whole life. Could you imagine how strange a grocery store looks to him? He's like, picking fruit means you point. Not go to find a tree that's still thriving. You're like, oh, we're going to pick out some peaches. And he's like looking for trees. He's like, no, we're just looking at the packages to see which ones we like the most. He's like, all of your fruit's on display for you. You don't even have to do anything but pick it up. I can understand how strange it is. And God says, do you, you don't even realize that. You don't even realize the miracle. Do you, when was the last time you realized the miracle of a flushing toilet? For me, it was yesterday. There's one that doesn't work so well in the house where we were. Boy, you're like, oh, Lord, I forgot how amazing it is to have a good flushing toilet. Or a shower. You don't have to dig a well. You ready for all the effort? Not 17 hours with a shovel. Here's our effort. Ready? Uh, that was it. Did you get that? That's what we have to do for water. Maybe it's you flick a switch, turn a knob, do something. That's it. And magically water comes into your, on your head, in a glass, whatever. Do you even realize the miracle that is? He goes, you know what's so strange? Is that this comfort thing, it can be addicting. And it can be so addicting, you could forget that you needed to be saved. And when you forget that you need to be saved, that appetite part of you starts to wander. Because the gratitude that we should have for this comfort wanes so quickly and wanders so quickly. And he's like, you know what's going to happen? You'll start looking and thinking, well, yeah, maybe God was good for that saving thing. But now, like, let's go have fun. God's like, the only reason why you have time to do that is because you're not digging a well because I got water into your house. Because if you're going to love me with all of your soul, you're going to love me even in the greatest moments of comfort, not just in the greatest moments of trials. Hey, if the only time we ever cry out to him is in a trial and all he really wants is our relationship, why would he ever pull us out of him? And so here we are in this. And he's like, look at, please know this. I'm jealous. And if you think for a moment I did all of that and now our history's over and that's the kind of thing. That's like a guy that got married or a girl that got married and said, well, we got married 10, 15 years ago or whatever. We're not together anymore or whatever. Well, are you divorced? No, we're just, you know, just we had that romantic time and now we're just going to live lives the way we want to live our life. You think, well, that's a really lousy marriage. The Lord's like, well, that's what I, 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 if you're going to love me with all of your soul, I want to be your appetite. I want to be the thing you crave because you are the thing I crave. 
I crave you. My thoughts for you outnumber the sand on the shore. I call you by name. I hung naked in front of everybody and bled and suffocated to death on a cross while people mocked. Because I want you. What's the point here? Can I have some of that love in return? And that's our second of the three. So what does strength look like? Verse 16. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa, which is interesting for Moses to say because that was the place where the people actually said in Exodus 17, 7, is God really among us or not? Because they were thirsty. That was the place where Moses had to go and strike the rock. But according to Numbers chapter 20, verse 24, it's also the place where he had to go and speak to the rock. But this time, he hit it again the same rock according to these two verses and somewhere in it when God said this is what I want you to do speak and you're like no I'd rather hit it God's like that's not how I want you to spend your strength verse 17 says I want you to keep diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and I challenge you on your own time to, to mark how many times Lord your God is listed in this text his testimony, statutes, as I commanded you, because I wanted to be well with you. I want you to possess the land. Verse 19, to cast out all of your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. Before we bring this to a close, I want you to realize this is where how we love the Lord with all of our strengths. I love the Lord with all my heart by making sure he's the Lord of all of my life. That there's no area that's tucked away that's not his. I love the Lord with all of my soul for him to be the thing I crave. And I love the Lord with all my strength. By saying, God says, I want you to use that strength now that I give you. And I want you to take out everything that stands against you and me. I want it out of your life. You're like, well, I don't have the strength to do it. God says, well, then I'll be your strength. Let's get it out. That's the point. If you've got a problem with pornography, get rid of your computer or put a great filter on it and get something like X3 Watch where guys hold you accountable. If you have a problem with gossip, tell every Christian that you know and tell them, don't let me do this. Whatever the weakness is, don't be anonymous. And God says, now the strength that I give you, love me by clearing the house so it's just yours and mine now. I'm giving you the power to evict. Imagine if Jeffrey, poor Jeffrey, had seven girlfriends in his life, all treated him poorly, all kind of dominated him, just treated him horribly, poor Jeffrey, sorry Jeffrey, and then he meets the right girl, and she's the deal, and he finally proposes to her and says, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, I want to love you with my heart, I want to love you with my cravings. I don't want to crave you and then crave other girls. That doesn't look like a real marriage. But I got to warn you, um, the house I live in, I, I kind of live with my seven old girlfriends. I want you to come in too. I mean, we'll have our relationship, but they're kind of, you know, they kind of, they help clean up. <coughs> One looks after the cat, you know, whatever it is. You can imagine she'd be a bit offended. Which one of you ladies would think, oh, perfect. Like you just want to walk around, I got him and you did. And really, you think that's what's going to happen? The point is, somewhere down the line, you're like, they need to hit the road. This needs to be our house. Or, 
move out, and let's find a place that's just ours. But imagine if you're like, no, I can't. I need these people. My natural reaction would be, well, then you don't need me. But if we tell the Lord, but I need this sin, but I need this thing, and I know this thing is in allegiance with you, but I still kind of need it. The Lord's like, no, you don't. Don't play that with me. I know you better than you do. You don't need that. I'm going to give you the power. If you're going to love me with your strength, use that strength to push away the things that pull you away instead of pull in things that you don't, that don't belong. Love me like you should. So here it is. Love me with all of your heart. How? Be the Lord of my whole life. No area that's not yours. Be the Lord. You know, I want to love you with all of my soul. I want every appetite to demonstrate that. And I want to love you with all of my strength. That what I put my intentions and my strength to is making sure that that relationship is guarded and held sacred. So look at the rest of the chapter. Because the rest of the chapter just shows that the Lord wants to leave a legacy in that. Verse 20. So when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is the meaning of these testimonies, statutes, judgments, in which the Lord God has commanded you? Well, then I want you to tell your son, and here's the simplest of it, you ready? I want you to tell him your testimony. See, what the Lord sets up in our lives are these moments where you go, you ever have a, where the Lord tells you to do something, you go, I feel kind of weird about doing this. It's like, go share with that stranger. Go tell them that thing. Go pull out your Bible and just start to read. And you're like, okay, that's kind of weird. It's amazing. See, listen, the Lord really wants to set up these points in our life where someone's going to turn to you and ask you, why are you like this? Now, sometimes, actually, it's just because something's really great. And they'll ask, why are you always smiling? How, why are you kind of taking things in a stride? Why are you not freaking out? Why are you not hitting all of these guys that have taken over the front row? I'm not bitter. Because the Lord really, really wants you to share your testimony. But listen, here's the simplest. You're like, well, I don't know what my testimony is. I do. You were a slave. God came in because you couldn't get out. He died on a cross and rose again and then took you out of that land of slavery and brought you into his arms. The rest is personal details. But you're like, but I really wasn't that bad of a person. Well, don't make up something. Don't say, like, you know, I was, like, hitting nuns and, like, kicking puppies. And, you know, don't make up stuff. Like, Daniel's testimony probably isn't going to be, like, you know, and then there I was, man, with a shotgun in one hand. And, you know, let's say, sub. Look at, if you, you feel like, well, I don't feel like I have a testimony because I feel like I've been a generally a good guy. Can I just be honest with you? It's the most important testimony to me. And I'll tell you why. Because it's the one I pray my kids have. I don't want my kids to be able to have one that's like, you know, I was doing all these horrible things and then I was on the brink of this and there I was with blood on my hands, literally, and then there I was in this situation. I don't want them to have that kind of testimony. I want them to have the kind of testimony that says, you know what, I would have been viewed as a, je- a relatively good person, but I still needed Jesus like everyone else because I was still a slave to sin like everyone's a slave to sin. And with that, I needed to be delivered out of that slavery. Hey, you know what, for some of you, and I'm, I'm, I'm not pushing this, but I'm telling you, I'm not going to diss a tattoo if that's, what it were, if that's what it is. I'm not going to, you know, it's like, for whatever it is, whatever that thing is, and some of us just, we have like these keepsakes, these things, and someone goes, well, what's that? And you're like, that's so important to you, what is it? And you're like, that reminds me that I was a slave 
And my God heard my cries and he saw my anguish and he came down and he saved me because I couldn't save myself. And the Lord wants us to give that testimony. So he says, so when your kids ask, and what the weird thing is, is you know why your kids are asking? Because you've got these strange rules that you're happy to obey. And kids are like, I wouldn't do that. I'm like, of course not. You know why I'm obeying those? Because I love the person who wrote them. Hey, we have all kinds of weird rules in our house. And I try to sit down and say, please hear my heart and the spirit of the law on these things. Because this isn't just about do these things because I'm a government. It's because there's a love behind God and I want to encourage you in that. I want you to ask. So, and they will ask, why do we do this? And I'm like, you should always ask, why do we do this? We should never be afraid of somebody asking, why do you do that? Unless what you do is you do it just because you do it. Wouldn't that be horrible? Why do you read the Bible? Man, because the pastor said I should. Really? I hope not. Why do you pray? Why do you go to church? Could you turn that into a moment of your testimony? You know why? Because I was a slave. I was an orphan in a sea of helplessness and despondency. And my God came down and he adopted me. So I want to be with, his, I want to be with my family. So I go to church. I want to celebrate my God with my family. With you. Why do I read the word? Because I'm in love with the author and it's his autobiography. Why do I pray? Because I want to talk with him. Because every relationship has good communication. So look at how it ends. He ends by saying, look, if that's the case and your kids are going to ask, people are going to ask, give them that, give them that testimony. And as you give them that testimony, he says, then that it will be righteousness for us. If we are careful to observe all of the commandments before the Lord. He goes, look at, we're going to understand righteousness. Zadik. It is, it's going to be right. God's going to look at this and he's going to go, now that's right. You could do all of these things, but if you just do all these things without giving God your love, it's not going to be right to God. By the way, can I mention Cain? Didn't Cain bring a sacrifice too? I mean, he did it. It wasn't by faith. That's what Hebrews tells us. But he gave a sacrifice. It just wasn't acceptable. There was no love in that sacrifice. And I don't think the Lord's impressed with any sacrifice that doesn't, it doesn't involve our love. Because to be honest, if it involved our love, it really wouldn't even feel like a sacrifice. It would be the two widow's mites. It would be the thing done in secret. Because that's what happens when we love. Is we do it for, well, not for our sake anymore. So let me ask you something. Christians first, for you. For those who make the claim of Jesus Christ in their life. Does he have your love? Would you answer like me? I'd be honest. If I were, and to be honest, I'd say, well, I, I know he has some. But I want... I want, I want, I want him to have it all. Well, then that's what we're going to pray. But have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ that brings you in in the first place? Because that's how this whole thing starts. The death on the cross, the resurrection, that will you be mine? Have you said yes to this gift? Because if you haven't, you're still a slave. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be honest. I'm trying to be your friend. Says you're a slave that needs to be rescued. Every Christian has been rescued. We're rescues. This is the rescue club. And none of us were the lifeguard. 
And if you haven't accepted that gift, I'm going to give you the chance now as we pray. We may have time, but we're going to pray, and then I think we're going to end with a song today. You pray with me, please. Lord, I want to thank you for this beautiful text for which then the entire Torah revolves around, the entire Bible revolves around. When people were to ask, what does God really want from me? Does he want my money? Does he want my time? Does he want my stuff? And yet you've made it so clear if we just read your word. But I can't imagine saying that to my wife. What do you really want? My money, my time, my stuff. It just sounds so inappropriate in a real relationship. As a government, I can see that. A government with no relationship, what do they really want? My money, my stuff. The Lord show us that this isn't about a government. This is about a God who sent His Son to die on a cross so that we could be yours. So that our debt could be paid. And Jesus, on that cross, you died for my sins and the sins of mankind. Just like Scripture promised and was buried and three days later you rose again, just like Scripture promised. And you invite me to be yours. But I recognize to be yours, what you want is my love. And I don't want to play games with you. I don't want to pretend like you're not in the room. I want to be real and honest to tell you, Lord, I don't love you the way I should, but I want to. I want to. I want you so bad. So now ignite me to do so. And Lord, I just pray right now for every one of us here in this room, Lord, as you are speaking to us, you are drawing us close. Lord, that you would do something beautiful in this room right now. Lord, that you would profoundly, profoundly draw us to this place where we would recognize our need for you in a fresh way. Where the comfort wouldn't blind us, Lord. Where the hunger, Lord, that we had before would be there. Where there would be no area of our life that we sort of shut off from you. But in everything, Lord, that you would, even in this moment, draw us to this place where we would be amazed, Lord, in you. And Lord, I just pray right now that we would walk out of here confident that we love you as you deserve to be. But right now, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if there be anyone in this room who has yet to say yes to you, that today they recognize that this needs to be dealt with, and you died for our slavery to get us out of our land of bondage, and today you are looking to deliver us, or right now convict us. And in doing so, Lord, I pray right now that you would give them the courage to say yes with you. And I'm going to pray a prayer. I ask you to listen. And if you agree, I ask at the end of it for you to give a confident and bold amen. And here's the prayer. God, I'm a sinner. I'm not going to lie. I know. I'm a sinner. Just like every other human being, I'm a sinner. <clears throat> and you say that whoever sins is a slave to it. But I need your deliverance, and you've come to deliver me. I believe you sent Jesus to die on that cross. And as he died on that cross, that my sins were properly punished, paid in full. And with that then, you rose again, just like Scripture promised. And so I say yes. Yes, Jesus, to your payment on my behalf. Yes, to your purity for my filth. And now, Lord, I just say, please have me. I belong to you. I'm yours. Father, 
Make me your own in Jesus' name. Amen.